Hey everyone, it's Mark here. Before we kick off today's episode, I wanted to let you know that I'll soon be reopening applications for my Signature Impact Etc. program, which is by far one of the favorite things I get to create and put out into the world. As I personally coach and mentor a small group of like-minded, purpose-driven individuals over eight weeks who want to stop being the best-kept secret in their industry. And, and we do that really by, by helping them find their voice own their stories and broadcast their message with clarity and confidence so they can start building a tribe of raving fans and become the go-to person in their niche. So if that sounds like something up your street, please make sure to keep your eyes and ears peeled for more information on where and when to apply. If you want to be the first to know, make sure to go over on markdrews.com forward slash newsletter and join my private email list where I'll email the link to the uh, Avon premiere of the application forms through my newsletter first and then I'll go publicly. So make sure you go and do that. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Unconventionalist Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Roost, And in each episode, I sit down with incredibly inspiring guests from best-selling authors, world record breakers to entrepreneurs and business leaders who've somehow found a way to turn their purpose into a movement. And through our candid conversations with them, I asked them about their failures and successes, their ups and their downs and lessons they've learned from both. If you're new to the show, a warm welcome. And if you enjoy what you hear, I'd love to invite you to subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It really does make a big difference. So thank you so much for, for taking the do that. And if you've been a regular listener on the show and you haven't left a rating or review yet on iTunes, what are you waiting for? Go and do that. And, and this week's unconventionalist fan of the week who left a five-star rating is Chupa Cat BR, who wrote, really interesting and easy to listen to. Thanks a lot, mate, for a great content. So thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate that. And before I dive into today's amazing guest and tell you a bit more about what we're going to cover, I wanted to remind you, in case you missed last week's episode, that Lewis Howes, the host of the School of Greatness podcast, is coming over to London to deliver a masterclass in partnership with the How To Academy on the 27th of March, 2019, on how to achieve sustainable success. And he's going to distill everything he's learned from the hundreds of guests he's interviewed over the years. And, and he's been a massive influence on my show. So I just want to show some support and love. And because I managed to get him to connect with the organization How To, uh, how to Really Nice, and they gave us a discount code. So if you're thinking about going to the event, use the unconventional all-in-caps code when you check out you'll get 10% off which is which is pretty sweet so we all see you there I'll, I'll link all the uh, URLs and websites and so forth in the show in the show notes now I don't know if you've noticed but if you look around you most people tend to be pretty miserable in their in their jobs right there was like a Gallup study that 87% of people feel pretty much disengaged from the workplace it's it's a shocking fact that most people aren't happy but in this era of constant change like organizations are confronted with new liabilities and in order to succeed, teams need to upgrade their organizational operational systems to prioritize building emergent responsive organizations. Now that sounds really smart. I didn't make that up. Today's guest did. <laughs> but in short, I think it's to say that the way that we work is broken. Now it was invented over a hundred years ago on a factory floor for a world that no longer exists. But the good news is that we can change it and we can do work that matters in a way that is so much smarter on how we are today. And today's guest is here to tell us just how. That's why I sat down with Aaron Dignant, the founder of The Ready and author of the brand new book, Brave New Work. Are you ready to reinvent your organization? 
that's been published through Penguin. In fact, Penguin kindly invited me to their studios today to record this episode in central London. And, and I'll make sure to also publish this episode on my YouTube channel over at youtube.com forward slash Mark Roost. So you can see the small intimate kind of studio we were in and, and the setup that we had. But until then, just know that Brave New Work is basically a playbook for replacing bureaucracy with autonomy, trust and transparency. It's a game changer. If you enjoyed Start With Why, Purpose Economy, Reinventing Organizations, then and also Lean Startup actually, you're going to love this. It's, it's, it's a really practical book that gives you lots of insights. It's broken into three parts, kind of the background and history of of how we came to do the work that we do. Then, then he talks about the the kind of the 12 environments of um, the uh, operational systems organizations and then actually how to implement that change. But what I love most about our conversation was was to hear about how uh, kind of Aaron's The Ready's mission and the company and team is to change how the world works. And they do that by going into organizations and institutions who feel that the way they're working isn't serving them and that they're able to then help them become more adaptive and more human. And it's really cool to actually hear that there's other people like me, like other organizations who are trying to change the way that people operate. And and it was refreshing, actually. And Aaron was generally a really, really kind guy. So, th you know, I really appreciate him coming on the show. But what was really cool is that on the cover of his book and on his website, you see that Seth Godin, the marketing kind of guru, wrote that this is the management book of the year. Clear, powerful, and urgent. It's a must-read for anyone who cares about where they work and how they work. So that sounds like something exciting. You're going to love today's conversation. It's a shorter episode than usual. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one and only Aaron Dignan. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really cool to have you. We're here in studio in Penguin Group on the Strand in London. <laughs> very official. <laughs> yeah, it feels very professional. We've got microphones and headsets. And uh, and I know for a fact that people are going to be generally excited about hearing hearing your kind of thoughts and, and a bit more about your story, I guess. Sure. Uh, and we're here for a particular also occasion. We're going to talk a bit more about your, your new book, Brave New Work, which I think was really cool. Um, some cool concepts in it. We'll dive a bit more about that. Sure. But uh, have you been to London before? I have indeed. Yeah? Oh, yes. What are your thoughts on London? Uh, it's a funky town. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I, uh, I've come, I don't know, maybe once a year for probably the last eight years, yeah. give, or, give or take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you published your last book back in 2011, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. you do like a, a kind of a book tour back then, or was uh, it more like a low-key thing? Not as much. I, d I sort of launched that book terribly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it was sort of like, here it is, and then we're done. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Enjoy. No, it was more of a pet project. This is really yeah. more down the middle for me. So, yeah. yeah. But it was. I thought it was really cool. Instead of doing a traditional kind of book tour, you decided to do a workshop tour. That's right. And yeah. going around different... Like, where did that idea come from? Well, I mean, obviously, a lot of the book is about changing the way we work. And my sense was, you know, me me talking at you for an hour was an insufficient. I didn't want to sort of crack the book and read yeah. uh, to a bunch of sleepy people. So <laughs> I thought, uh, do a workshop tour instead. And that yeah. way people could have a chance to experience the yeah. ideas rather than just hear about them. And how deep are you on the store right now? Uh, let's see. We're, we'll be doing uh, City Number 4 City of number 11 four. Yeah. Uh, shortly. Cool. Yeah. And, and how's it going so far? Uh, great. Yeah? Really well, first of all, we're learning a lot. So yeah. the, the iterative approach that I recommend <laughs> in the book is being implemented yeah. in real time. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I've learned is I'm used to doing these workshops with organizations privately. Sure. And so my instinct is for everything to be a secret. <laughs> 
Got it. So, so the first one I did, I didn't mention anything about you can take pictures, you could tell your friends, you could tell people to buy the book. I was like, you know. <laughs> the most secret book tour in the world. <laughs> exactly, yeah. By the second time, I realized that, so we got that put together. But, it helps. When people yeah. start talking about your event, your book, That's you know, whether they thing. tweet about it, Insta, whatever the kids do these days, yeah, you know. Exactly. Uh, cool, man. That's awesome. Fourth, yeah. fourth city. Yeah. And you excited about the book? I am, yeah. This is uh, the first thing that I've done in a long time. I feel like I got a chance to sort of put myself all the way into yeah. it and it really represents what I'm about. Yeah. One of the process I haven't heard you talk too much because I've listened to a bunch of podcasts that you've done and stuff. So I know you've you've had a lot of similar questions. It seems to be like you're always <laughs> talking about the operating system. We'll we'll talk a bit more about that. But one of the things I'm always curious is the story behind the story. So when did you actually start writing this book? Uh, it would have been about two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. So how did the idea come about? Was it through the work that you're doing through organizations you thought this needs to be in a kind of a concrete format and put everything in place? Or how did the idea of actually writing Brave New Work come? Well, it was sort of, I guess there's two answers. The personal answer is that I was eager to cleanse the last book from my spirit and from my public record. Um, and so there was a desire to sort of... I didn't like, name the book on purpose. I was like, yeah. I haven't seen you talk too much about that old book, but I just thought I'd mention it. Well, you no, it's a yeah. fine book. I just it, it never was what I did for a living. It was never right cool. in my wheelhouse. So I still get people reaching out saying, what about this? What about that? Yeah. So I wanted to do something that was right in line with what I love to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, and that so it felt like a way to kind of uh, put myself out there. And then the second thing is I feel like this is a category where new ways of working, whether it's agile or lean or self-management or whatever yeah. you want to call it, yeah. um, there's been lots of good theory and thinking out there in the world for, frankly, almost four decades. Yeah. It's never really been packaged in a way that practical. is super digestible yeah. and practical yeah. and accessible. Yeah. So my goal was not to say anything new, yeah. but just to say things in a way where it goes down mm. a little bit differently yeah. and maybe catches in a different way. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. And so you start the process. Yeah. Now, a lot of people don't realize that when you start writing a book, it's a bit like a micro PhD. <laughs> and you suddenly go so deep in the same topic. And some people lose their mind. They're just going, oh, my yeah. God, I can't. But what was the process like for you to actually kind of churn that out? Well, I mean, I liken it to a pregnancy. <laughs> um, you know, because it's very exciting in the beginning. And then it starts to weigh on you. And by the end, yeah. you're like, get this thing yeah. out of me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, or at least to the, to the extent that I'll ever know about that. Sure. Um, no, I mean, it, for me, I took the very kind of, uh, you know, rhythm-based approach. So every day it was, you know, up at eight get your breakfast uh, yeah. tea, go write for three yeah. hours, break for lunch. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I did that seven days a week for a year, uh, really without stopping. Because as soon as you stop, you sort of lose yeah, your footing. Yeah, you yeah, You lose your strength. So no, it's, it's a muscle. And the great irony of writing books that most people don't realize, except for the journalists that write them all the time, is you build the muscle for a year as you write the book. Yeah. By the end, you're so strong. You're like, <laughs> I can write 2,000 words in an hour. <laughs> and then you go you go to promote and you go yeah. to do all this other stuff and yeah. you completely lose that muscle. Yeah. By the time you start again, you're terrible. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. No, it's awesome. It's really, really cool. Because one of the things um, I kind of hear you talk a lot about is, I guess, changing and reinventing the way we work yes. to unlock the human potential, whether that's in organizations, leaders, or entrepreneurs, or what have you. Um, what's the earliest memory that you have of you noticing that that was something you were called to do or excited to do about? Yeah, I mean, for me, it goes back to, you know, kind of high school, you know, mm -hmm. 12th grade, 11th grade, uh, working in these retail jobs, office supply store, yeah. mall kiosk, um, where there was just absolutely no interest in my ideas. Okay. I mean, just I was a cog in the machine as through and through as yeah. you could be. And for me, that was really frustrating because it was like, I, you know, I have ideas. I see what's going on. Sure. I'm right here at the front lines. Sure. 
Um, and I just felt like they, they didn't really care who I was or what my capability was. They yeah. just wanted me to put the boxes on the shelf. Yeah. Um, so that created a kind of a, and you thought that was weird. a yearning. You're well, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I... just simply because I worked with all these other people that were brilliant yeah. uh, people and we were capable of doing more. Yeah. And we just weren't given the opportunity. And, of course, now I look back and it's like, I'm still me. I was I was there. <laughs> and they could have gotten a lot of free consulting. <laughs> but this is about something you must be seeing all the time. Absolutely. That organization like, no, we we know what's best. We're telling you, do this. Yeah. And, and you know, we don't want to hear your ideas. They're funky. Yeah, we'll tell you what yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. yet there's so much untapped potential when you actually ask the question, you know, how can we help do the best work that we do? Absolutely. And yeah. especially when, you know, most of the work that we do now and certainly almost all the work we'll do in the future after the robots eat the rest of it <laughs> is is creative work. It's yeah. complex work. It's work yeah. that has all this sort of richness and yeah. judgment and, you know, human energy involved. Yeah. So the idea that anyone knows what to do. I mean, you know, do you know how to make a great movie? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> you know, no one knows how to do. People have, you know, patterns that they've learned, and some people are better at it than others. Yeah. But it's there's a, it's an art form. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And so at some certain point, because then you had you had to form a business before, and you're sitting on boards of different kind of organizations too. But you had this idea of starting the Ready. Yeah. And you're launching, and we work. I think that's where you kind of the offices were originally. Actually, I think what was our first office? We were in uh, we were in a restaurant first, oh, you were? just at a table, <laughs> and then we kind of bounced from co-working spaces. Yeah. But I'm, yeah, I'm definitely friends with the WeWork. Yeah, place, yeah. So. so you you got you got a testimonial from from the founders, I think, which yeah. was really cool. I mean, yeah. I was very impressed by the roster of testimonials you got in your book. I was like, God damn, that's good. You know, Seth Gordon, like massive one on the top, and yeah. that was really cool. So so the Ready, it, it seems like the Ready's mission, and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but sure. it seems like the, the mission is kind of again really kind of changing the way that organizations are working to be more human more agile more kind of flexible yeah our, our cheeky take on it is change how the world works yeah um Big and mission. yeah we just yeah. want to make it more adaptive and more human mm. it's really quite that's it yeah uh, which of course is grandiose and we'll never do that alone yeah yeah, yeah. but we just want to chip away at it sure you know, do our part sure um so yeah and the idea was to sort of come right at that because the last uh consultancy that i that i you know put together was more focused on digital change yeah. and, and disruptive yeah. kind of tech and things like that. And the way the work happened was a bit of it, yeah. but it wasn't the whole thing. And over yeah. time, we migrated towards that, realizing that it actually didn't matter whether it was you know, AI or robotics or social or, or cultural unrest that you were facing with. If you couldn't change, yeah. if you couldn't change the way you worked, yeah. then it didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's and, a talk you gave, I think it was at 99U. Yeah. We talk about the yeah, mindset. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was really interesting. That, yeah. like, you could see the early seeds of yeah, this yeah, kind yeah. of in that yeah. talk. Five years ago or whatever but it was realizing like oh it's not about the thing it's yeah. about the how yeah um and so now more recently we, you know with the ready we just said yeah it's all about the how actually. Cool. and we don't really deal with the what anymore yeah. someone's like what should our strategy be we're like no no how should you create your yeah. strategy yeah there's You'll something figure that, out the what yeah there's something that you say i think i forgot where i heard it maybe maybe it was in the book or somewhere i heard you said um that you know without the right information you can't make the right decisions that's right you know there's like can you unpack it that a little bit for people who kind of just yeah. hearing that for the first time? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the reasons that we talk about an operating system as yeah. a way of working, an OS, is that there's a lot of interconnection. Yeah. And so one of the most common mistakes I see people who get excited about this movement to empowerment and whatnot yeah. is they'll be like, all right, you know, Monday morning, everybody <laughs> can do whatever they want. Um, but they forget that if you don't have information symmetry, if people don't have enough information, they might have the power, but they won't have enough context to make great yeah. decisions. So they'll yeah. make bad decisions. And then the leaders that were skeptical will say, see, see, everyone's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like, no, they're not idiots. They yeah. just don't have the information that you yeah. have. So, yeah, it's important to make sure that we realize the strings that are connecting these different aspects of the way yeah. we work. Um, same thing will happen often when people try to create a new approach and then the incentives stay the same. Mm. You know, I'll sit down with someone who's been resistant and they'll say, 
yeah, my bonus is based on X, and I have two kids in private yeah. school. So, yeah. like, guess what? I'm you not know, changing. I'm not changing anything. <laughs> and, and why should? And why should they? You know, I, you know, bad change is the reason people don't don't yeah. change, right? It's not. Yeah. It's not that we're and resistant. the fear of it, right? Yeah, we're not yeah. resistant to change. If I offer you a new Maserati today, that's a change. Are you okay yeah. with it? Yeah, I'll course, take it. It's, oh, fine. it's not baby friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my wife would kill me. All right, but well, I get that. I get that. We'll call it a Model X. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in any case, like, yeah, that's fine. That change yeah. is fine because yeah. it's welcomed. But the sure. you know, it's change done badly. That's not. Welcomed. Yeah. And there's also something I think was really interesting. I've, I've, I've kind of been exploring this in my work and also kind of studying other people, the evolution of work mm -hmm. and how, you know, back in the day, in the agricultural days, it was literally there was no concept really of work. It was just survival, mm -hmm. agrarian families coming together as tribes, feeders, you know, all this stuff. And then suddenly there were uh, this concept of employers and employees where yep. it was all based on, on performance and compliancy mm -hmm. and, and are you strong enough to, yeah. to kind of plow, right? And then obviously the industrial revolution came along. And one of the things you kind of talk a lot about is how still today, like like the, the like the gurus of management and like the, <laughs> the the benchmark of productivity and efficiency is still based on school thought that was over a hundred years ago. A hundred percent. That's mad. Yeah. I mean you cannot go into a global organization and not find a Gantt chart. Yeah. Uh, Henry Gantt worked with Taylor in 1911. Yeah, you know that like that's when that was invented yeah. to to keep factories humming. Yeah, they didn't um, have Netflix back then. They did not. Uh, <laughs> no, they they barely they barely had uh, you know the things that we enjoy today. But but I think the idea was um, when we're moving from an artisanal economy where yeah. everybody has their own way of doing things and there's no sense of what's possible of yeah. what good looks like. Yeah. then it was a logical leap to say let's find the one best way and let's enforce that. That right. made sense. Yeah. And in many ways it was helpful, but but what we lost in the in the bargain was the autonomy mm. and the creativity mm. and the connection to purpose and the feel the sort of sense of, you know, I, I have a role to play yeah. here that's not just uh, you know, kind of mechanical. Yeah. Um so we got all these gains in productivity and whatnot, but then when we moved to the next stage of development where we needed more innovation and more kind of awareness, and frankly, we had a little bit more social consciousness for yeah. you know what it, what's what's the meaning of being yeah. at work and how do I feel about yeah. it. Um, we became a knowledge economy. A lot of those ideas start to break. Yeah, and so you know both on a performance level and just on a human level, right? Because not that, good that, enough. Now, because like one of the powerful things is the information that you hold and the creativity that you can come up with. But I do you think it's interesting? It feels like we're at the cusp mm -hmm. where now because of AI, automation, machine learning, a lot of the tasks are being kind of outsourced and all right now we've got to ask ourselves a different set of questions mm -hmm. and and are you finding that that wave is finally kind of hitting more organizations than maybe you did in your work maybe five ten years ago well i think there's there's sort of two uh schools of thought right now there are the people that have the time to stop and think about where this is all heading okay and then there are people that are just trying to tread water and hit the next quarter okay. and get it done yeah and so yeah i have two conversations one is the people that are still thinking how can I, in kind of a mercenary way, leverage technology to squeeze a little bit more productivity out of this thing? Right? Yeah. They still see the organization as a machine, yeah. and they still see you know, success as kind of independent of what happens in community. Yeah. And then there are other people who are saying, yeah, this stuff is all inevitable, and it's fine, but what about the people? What about the human experience? Aren't, shouldn't, shouldn't success be defined as building organizations that ultimately lead to fulfillment mm. that ultimately lead to mm. you know kind of um health and flourishing yeah yeah just happier human beings and just being yeah. yeah and you see you see the sort of the conflict and the and the clinging to the old way and the curiosity about the new way both here uh and also back in in the u.s right yeah. i mean you have people like aoc and others in the u.s and yeah. bernie sanders saying yeah. 
you know, like we don't want to get rid of capitalism. We yeah. like markets. Yeah. We like competition. But we also need ways to make sure that we're doing something that's ultimately human centric. Right. Right. That's not right. just Jeff Bezos centric, but yeah. it's actually human centric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then over here with Brexit and things, there's similar, yeah. um, you know, debate about yeah. what is the right way to solve this problem. And can we, you know, can we m compete our way out of it or do we need some yeah. uh, different constraints on the system? And, and do you think because of the rise of this digital era, it's one of the best times to actually ask ourselves what it means to be human? I do. I mean, first of all, it's funny. I, I love arguing about the kind of like, you know, ultimately human question because yeah. there was never such a time, right? Like, were we most human in 1600 or 1800 <laughs> or 2000? Um, you know, we've never been platonically human. It's yeah. a moving target. But I think I'm more interested in just in just flourishing. Like, what is sure. it, you know, does it feel, do we feel well and happy and connected and, and sort of present? Yeah. Um, or do we feel, you know, anxiety and stress mm. and all these sorts of things? So, I think that that is that's the question, and that's that's really what I'm getting at. And what it means to be human is a moving target, so it yeah. will continue to move. Sure, but there was this promise that was made with the rise of technology, right? That it would save us. It would save us. Yeah, it would make us more efficient. Yeah, it, but, we would have more time. Yeah, but it's funny. I, there's a Huxley quote in the book where he talks about you know technological pro progress is just the means to sort of faster rush ourselves toward our own demise. <laughs> Got it. Um, so it depends on how we leverage it. And yeah. one of the things I talk about in the book is. Uh, you know, we need to define what success looks like for us right. as founders, as leaders, yep. as teams, so that we can then steer, yeah. you know, because you can use AI to, to create uh, surplus and freedom and capacity and, and innovation, or you can use it to, um, you know, to create kind of two classes of people. Sure. Um, and, you know, both are, both are possible. So right. it really just depends on what we value. And there's this metaphor that you use in the book when talking about two different possible scenarios where you talk about the crossroad versus the roundabout. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really neat kind of idea. And I know I want people to dive more into the book about it. But sure. in a gist, would you mind kind of sharing kind of how first you came across that? Was it like during a seminar? You kind of had this aha <laughs> moment? Or did you sit yeah. down and go, I wonder what would be a good metaphor? To, yeah, to yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's funny. It's actually around. It's a it's a metaphor that's been used in this space for a while. I can't remember um, who I saw it from first, but someone else mentioned mm. it in this context. And I felt like, oh, that's so powerful. I have to expound on sure. that. And so I did a lot of research to <clears throat> dig into that, um, especially with stateside data, because the, the most common pushback I get about roundabouts being so high performance is that, oh, sure, the Europeans, they know how to do that. Right. But in the U.S., we don't. You don't have that many roundabouts in the U.S., right? We don't. We have one for every 1,113 lighted intersections. <laughs> Uh, it's madness, isn't it? So anyway, the point yeah, of the book is sorry. that, uh, you know, operating systems are based on our assumptions about people and, and problems and, and, and work and the principles and practices that emerge from those assumptions. So one problem space would be the intersection, two yeah. roads cross. Yeah. The goals, of course, are that we want people to not hit each other and have a maximum throughput of, sure. of vehicles. The, the lighted intersection with the red, yellow, green lights, of course, takes the assumption that people can't be trusted. That tell them what need, to do. Yeah, we need to tell them what yeah. to do. Regulate you wait here, yeah. compliance-based. Um, and also that we need elaborate apparatus around mm. us to control us. So there's the signals and every possible scenario has to be imagined. Sure. And there's a control center and there's algorithms. And if that, that fails, someone steps in and controls. Yeah, there's an incredible, yeah, yeah. incredible uh, kind of system around the problem space. And then, uh, and then the roundabout has totally different assumptions. It mm. assumes that we kind of are responsible and we have to be present in the situation. Mm. So there's only two rules. There's simple rules. Uh, go with the flow of traffic and give the right of way to the people in the circle. Mm. And with those two constraints alone, every possible scenario is sort of handled. Mm. So everybody can, can do it. 
Um, what's interesting to me is that when you start to talk to people about, well, which one do you think is safer? Which one do you think has higher throughput? Which one do you think costs less to build and maintain? Or which one works better when the power goes out? <laughs> um, you know, the roundabout wins on every yeah. single metric in yeah. almost every context. There are a few specific sure. places where um, obviously it makes more sense to have a lighted intersection. And I think that's the metaphor for work, which is to say, if we want to be more considerate of the context we work in, we're going to start to see opportunities for roundabout solutions mm. to problems. So instead of a travel freeze where we have a top-down red light saying nobody can you know, book a plane ticket without boss approval and yeah. we, want to see, we want to see everything and we want preferred I, I partners. I, I loved your idea about transparency. Yeah. Yeah. About what if what if instead of having that top down, you have this idea of exactly. publishing everyone's travel diaries or uh, like the costs yeah. and make that internally public. Yeah. One simple rule, one basic, and it creates social pressure instead yeah. of, instead of compliance pressure. Yeah, um, and it works great. So I think the the idea is basically not that everything should be a roundabout, but just to say. Uh, when you're looking at a process, a policy, a structure in the organization, and you're knowing that it's not serving you well because it's bureaucratic, yeah. there's red tape to it, it's, you yeah. can feel the friction. The question is, what's the roundabout yeah. approach? What would that be? And, and obviously, the, you know, the book's full of them because we went out and found them. Sure. Yeah, yeah. There's some, there's some case studies, examples. But what, one of the questions I have, and this is what I come across as well in my work, and I'm always curious to hear about this, and that is, when you go into an organization, I'm guessing that most likely it's an organization that recognizes that they could be doing things a little bit different. Maybe mm -hmm. it's become too bureaucratic, it's become too stiff, or they're afraid of what the future of work will be. What do you say or do when you come across a leader in an organization that says, oh, no, we don't need this, mm -hmm. or we have a well-being day program where we kind of come <laughs> together and we, we talk about our values. I think you mentioned put it on mugs. You know, yeah. I always say put it on the walls. You know, what, what, what's, what's your kind of reaction to that or, or I guess your, your kind of conversation around it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first, the first thing to say is uh, it's not that uncommon for the boss to feel that way. Mm. Um, sometimes that's true. Although I find more and more as I travel the world that most of us are pretty melancholy about work. Okay. Um, even those in, in great power. Uh, but, but even still, let's say that's the case that someone's like, oh, everything's fine. Yeah. Um, the next thing I say is, well, can we ask the teams? <laughs> you know, so yeah. what if we ask the teams what's stopping them from doing the best work of their lives? Yeah. Um, and they have an answer uh, for sure. Yeah. And so just hearing that is a great starting place to just say, all right, now we have more shared consciousness about what it feels like to be what's here, what's really going happening. on, yeah. what's, what the potential and the possibilities yeah. are. Um, and then the question is, you know, is there is there a willingness or an openness uh, to change, to take yeah. a step in, in a, you know, a safe to try step in the right direction? Mm. Um, and if the answer is no, if there's heavy resistance, uh, my response is, no, I'm, I'm done here. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Because uh, life's too short to, to convince people of things yeah. they don't believe. And I can't answer a question that you haven't asked yet. Mm. So, um, so what I advise is if you're a team member in there, do what you can. Yeah. Uh, run the experiments you can. Work with your team differently. Sure. Start to push. Start to ask those questions. Yeah. Chip away at it. Yeah. Um, and if you can create movement, that's great. Uh, if you do that for a while and you can't, Go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and I know that takes a certain amount of privilege to do that. Sure. Um, but if you have that privilege, use it. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't, then then you have to sort of do the long work, which mm. I've also done before, of, you know, asking the right questions, pushing for retrospectives and moments of reflection, yeah. you know, creating enough movement. Um, and, you know, maybe you surreptitiously leave a copy of the book on your boss's desk. Uh, you might enjoy that. Yeah. Just, you know, don't put your name on it. Just leave it there, you know. Yeah. I, um, but, uh, but because because one of the things you talk a lot about is challenging assumptions. That's right. Right. And it's like it reminds me a little bit of uh, the Lean Startup mythology, mm -hmm. right, by Eric Ries. who talks sure. about just challenge everything right from a startup perspective. And one of the things I heard you say once was, you know, asking yourself, why do you have a 
boardroom table yeah. and chairs around. Yeah, there's so many assumptions that we have at work that we haven't thought about in forever. We should have an annual budget. Why? Yeah. Why is a year a year? Well, yeah. You know what? Like, what is? How arbitrary is that? You that sound like a millennial now. I know, man. Just asking so many uh, questions. Why? Yeah. Well, and I and thank <laughs> God for that. I mean, I think millennials, that while they have a lot to uh, to learn from from the world of work, they also have a lot to offer in that yeah. in that inquisitiveness and that resistance to like doing it just because yeah. we do it that way. Hundred um, percent. The table and chairs joke is, which is only a half a joke, is you go into every conference room in the world and there's a table and eight chairs. Yeah. And what I say is, what does that assume? Yeah. It assumes we're going to sit yeah. for long enough that we need a chair. Yeah. It assumes we're going to have some kind of papers or computers that we need to have on the table. Yeah. That somehow the work is going to happen in a round table format. <laughs> um, there's a million assumptions there. And fr- frankly, for you know two-thirds of the meetings I coach, that's not really necessary. Sure. Um, I did a, a meeting uh, a couple years ago in Italy where we actually used a room that had been cleared out. This was in a, a big uh, you know, consulting space. And, and we, uh, we cleared out the room. People walked in. And we, before we started, they were... So uncomfortable. <laughs> just like we're, we're gonna in, stand. We're in a conference room, there's no chairs or table, and we just they just didn't know what to do. And so all the chairs had been shuffled to one side of the room yeah. and sort of stacked. Yeah. And you wouldn't believe it, but these uh, executives in, you know, three piece suits started moving. found ways to sit on the stacked chairs, like just to kind of awkward. Yeah. yeah. Just to like be in a somewhat familiar yeah. position. So yeah. um so yeah, the idea here is just what is fit to purpose? Right. And so if you know what a meeting's for, if you know how to facilitate it, yeah. if you know what your goals are, then maybe a table doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so modular furniture, things like that, obviously are more interesting. But it's true of everything. And do you do this internally with your team? Yes. And, and is it, do you find it challenging? Yes. Yeah, it's very challenging because, of course, you know, th- there's always the shoemaker's kids problem mm. where uh, we, you know, don't have time to work on our own stuff or what have you. So that happens. And also, it's just painful. I mean, we did uh, we did a big experiment over the last year about um, transparent compensation and then self-set pay. <gasps> and uh, and, you know, it's of course, like teal, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's our it's our it's our Kool-Aid. So yeah. we so I was like, let's drink it. Let's you yeah. know, because our our goal of sort is different, really, than most companies where they might say it has to work. Our goal is actually like, no, we just have to learn something because then we can better advise our clients. Sure. So if it's a disaster, that's that's our job. Yeah. Like our job is to go to the edge <laughs> and peer over, as and opposed so, to good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. So we so we peer into the abyss, and yeah. and so with this one, there were definitely moments where everyone was like, "Should we be doing this?" Yeah, you know. But it's fine. What what do you find that you are still afraid of, right? Because I'm I'm guessing that a lot of this work goes hand in hand with trust, mm-hmm. goes hand in hand with the belief that there is a better way. Yeah. What do you find yourself still to be reactive about? And fearful about as a leader. Yeah, two things. Uh, the first is I'm always cautious about and confused about when to use power. Mm. So, you know, because you, even when you give away power, you, I mean, we have a public benefit corporation where everyone's a shareholder yeah. and we run on consent. And yeah. we, like it's very, mm-hmm. you know, very hippy dippy. But at the end of the day, just the fact that I'm the founder means that I have an influential Mm. power mm. that if i get really adamant about something even though i don't necessarily enforce it mm. with a with an authoritarian power mm. there's going to be people that just go along yeah and so the question i always have is you know what does it look like to lead in a system like this when do you step forward when do you step mm. back there's a modulation there that's really confusing yeah um and so i i just learn from that every time i do something because i'll find out oh i didn't i didn't do enough there too much there yeah and it's so i'm just sort of uh putting kitten paws on it uh as i as i go 
But that one, I mean, that definitely keeps me up at night. That's that's always stressful, especially when things are going sideways. Like yeah. you have, you know, somebody that's not a fit for the company, sure. or you have, you know, a financial problem, or you like whatever it is. You're sort of like, okay, how do I, mm. how again am I supposed to play this? Yeah, because um, so it's easy, right, to go yeah, back to the reactive. It is, yeah, yeah. and I've done that, and it's a huge mistake. So sure. it's like finding, you know, looking back to the principles, looking back to stories of other leaders in the space, and finding your own way. Yeah. So that's one. And then the second one is, uh, you know, I always worry about how, because I can't control the behavior of others, mm -hmm. do, do people in a system like this show up to each other and for each other in mm. the right way? Mm. So, if you know, do we bring those bad habits and those, you know, kind of insecurities and all those other things to the table and, and minimize what's possible when we know that it's possible for it to be so high performance? Mm. Do we let our own, you know, immaturity get in the way? Mm. Um, and and you see you know ebbs and flows of that as well. So I always I want us to be at our very best all the time. Yeah. Sometimes we're not. Um, <laughs> and so even though it's better than the alternative, yeah. sometimes I'm like, oh, I just could right. you just be nicer, just a little bit. <laughs> like, could you just listen? Could you just open up and say, be curious yeah. about that comment instead of being so offended sure. by it or sure. whatever? You know. So I want more openness. I get that. And and yet it also gives you a lot of compassion for your clients. Of course, yeah. Right, because you can then go and you go, oh my gosh, I so know what you mean when you know we go through. We went through that. Yeah. Um. So I get that. We're coming to the end of the interview. Uh, and it just went by so fast. So I, I wish, fast. I know. Um, so before we get into the, the kind of the final part, first of all, I just want to acknowledge you, say thank you for putting this work out into the world, both through your book and through your team and through the kind of talks and the content you've been putting out. Because I think the more, you know, I often, I often use the metaphor of the Death Star mm -hmm. and, and then Star Wars, when they had to attack the Death Star, yeah. they needed so many different kind of ships and sizes right. and experience to attack it from different angles in order to get to the core. So I feel right. like the more of us kind of trying to put this message out there to try and- Something and, will get through. Yeah, yeah, something will get through 100%. Yeah. Um, but I just want to say thank you generally for, for putting this work oh, out there because no, I know that pleasure. the work that you're doing is changing people's lives because every company is made of an ecosystem of humans right? and humans acting more like humans is a good thing. Yeah, 100%. You know? So I just want to say thank you for that. Right on. Um, if I could give you the, I don't know if you've ever been on Piccadilly Circus. It's yeah. the equivalent of Times Square, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, there's a massive kind of screen right at the top. Yeah. And I could give you one sentence that you could put up on that screen that everybody Easy. would see. What would it Easy. be? What's stopping you from doing the best work of your life? Yeah. I, I knew, yeah, I was expecting. Because if yeah. I can get that question in everybody's head, they'll go find the answer. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. What's one thing that most people don't know about you? Um, that's a good question. That I eat lunch alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, you would think... I, you know, in, in business and trying to meet all these people and travel everywhere that I'm like some social butterfly, but that's actually my only alone time. Yeah. You'll often see me like, you know, some lonely old man at a cafe. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, mate? I so respect that. Yeah. I was running a workshop the other day and I had, they, they brought me lunch during, during break because it was short break and the person was coming up to me and I said, actually, do you mind just giving me the space? Yeah. Do you yeah. mind coming back at the end of I this break? Recharge. Yeah. And, and I've learned that a lot from my partner who's, she's an introvert yeah. by nature. And she needs a space and she needs mm -hmm. to recharge and stuff. And so I've really learned actually the quality of that. So I yeah, appreciate yeah, yeah. that. What does, uh, what does being unconventional mean to you? I think it just means, like we talked about questioning everything. I think unconventional means um, being willing to go, against, to go against the status quo, the norm. Um, and maybe just having a little bit of a rebel spirit. Cool. Love yeah. that. Where's the best place to go and get a copy of your book? Uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, it's at, it's at Waterstones. It's uh, on Amazon. BraveNewWork.com has yeah. links to everything. Cool. Yeah. And if people want to get in touch with you online, do you hang out somewhere on social? On, I on... do. Yeah. I'm on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter at Aaron Dignan. Yeah. That's uh, where we met, right? On Twitter. Yeah. We connected on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, yeah. 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 So those are good places. And then... Uh, 
yeah, theready.com is, is our site for the company if people want to talk to them. Amazing stuff. And if you've got your tour coming up, workshops, they can check that online. Right. I'm coming to yours tonight, so I'm looking forward to, uh, nice. to hearing a bit more. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. Cheers. Generally appreciate it. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. I'm really grateful for Aaron uh, for coming on the show and, and sharing his knowledge and also for Penguin for allowing us to record over in the studios. That was really cool. And you can go and check out my post on Instagram today if you want to go and see the photo of Aaron. I promise you he smiles as well when the photo looks super serious. But if you swipe right, you'll see like a smiling photo of Aaron. But you can go in and check out uh, Aaron's upcoming workshops or where to find the book over on bravenewwork.com. But obviously it's available on Amazon and all great bookstores. So you can go over and do that. And again, I want to remind you, if you enjoyed today's episode, if you enjoyed today's uh, conversation and the show in general please go over to itunes and leave a rating and review it'll take you two minutes and it makes a huge difference i really want to be able to get the show out to as many people as possible uh, and also keep your eyes and ears peeled for the announcement of the upcoming new cohort of my signature impact accelerator program it's going to be a really exciting opportunity to get to work with me and really get to get you to create your own little movement, go out into the world and do something special and remarkable and become visible. So I'm really, really excited about that. But until then, I wanted to wish you an amazing week ahead. I want you to go out there and do work that matters because you matter and there is an absolute opportunity for you to do purposeful work and also make a difference. I'll see you next week. Until then, be well. Be well.